following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, it's going to be our last series on the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then we're going to start switching to more Christmas topics. However, this also really does relate uh, very closely to the message of Christmas. Christmas is about God coming to earth to dwell among us. And we even sang about that this morning. That's really what the Holy Spirit, the whole message of the Holy Spirit and the whole point of it, right, is that God, uh, by His Spirit, comes to dwell with us. Uh, so this morning we're going to look at the focus of how the Spirit powers our ministry. So uh, we're going to look at verses 1 to 13 of, six, of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So let me read. Uh, this is Paul writing to the Corinthians. He says, and when, I, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know <clears throat> nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Um, I'm going to get to second, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, but before I do that, uh, we're going to talk about... Um, what it means to have spirit-powered ministry. But to uh, kind of set up the background for this, why I want to talk about this or some context for it, I'm going to actually jump forward a bit to chapter 3 of Corinthians. And in chapter 3 of Corinthians, Paul is part of his um, kind of lengthy argument in Corinthians. I'm not going to get into all of it. But he, he makes an amazing statement about ministry. Uh, and uh, this is something that should be relevant to many of you because I think a lot of you here are here in some kind of ministry capacity. You are serving God here. You came to Thailand because you want to do ministry. And so let me just read, uh, in addition, let me read from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, what he talks about 
um, the effectiveness of our ministry. He says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building on it. Let each one take care how he builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold or silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day uh, will disclose it. That's day with a capital D, the day of judgment. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one of us has done. If the, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Uh, for me, this is one of the most troubling verses, I think, in all of Scripture for somebody in ministry. Uh, and the pro, you know, he, Paul lays out the truth that uh, we're all saved by Jesus, but... Ministry is building on the foundation of Christ, right? It's building on the work that Jesus does in people's lives. I'm going to move this kind of out of the way. I can't see all these wonderful people over in this side. Uh, um, and, and we have the opportunity of building on this foundation. Uh, and that's what really ministry is, whether it's full-time, part-time, whatever you do. When you minister to another person, you're building on the foundation of the gospel. You are helping them grow and mature in Christ. Um, but here's the terrifying thing, that just because you're doing ministry doesn't mean you are accomplishing anything eternal. That's what Paul's saying here. You can do all kinds of ministry activity. You can call yourself a missionary or a pastor or a full-time Christian worker or whatever. It doesn't mean it's going to endure the tests of the fires of judgment. Um, and we can be telling people about Jesus. We can be thinking we're making disciples, we can be helping those in need. But just because we're doing ministry for God and we think we're serving Him doesn't mean it's going to last. This should make us all really nervous and very, very reflective, right? This should make us all really examine what we do and how effective it is. And the reality is we know that many people come to the mission field, they come to Asia, And uh, most of us come from wealthier Western countries where we come with two things in our suitcase. A lot of money, and you may say you're poor, but actually we come resourced, right? And that can be a good thing. It can also be a dangerous thing. Second thing we have in our other suitcases, we have a boatload of ideas and wisdom, right? And we come and we have this idea that we can fix the world's problems, that we know the answers and we... Uh, we have the resources and, and we can change the world, right? Um, and and we, we feel that the, and, and we have conferences, we have workshops, we have seminars where we tell people what you need is the right method. <laughs> what you need is the right tool or the right strategy and you can, you can do effective ministry. And so we sell books and we have training seminars and we strategize and we plan and we create tools and uh, they do have value, right? Uh, you need a plan. If you don't have a plan, you need to get one. Uh, we need tools and we need methods to help us be effective. Those are good things. And certainly it's wise to be strategic. The problem, though, is this. These things can never be a substitute for the guiding and empowering work of the Holy Spirit. 
That's what Paul says here. And we're going to unpack that a bit. Um, Scripture teaches clearly that we need the Holy Spirit to be effective in ministry. And if we are doing ministry of any kind, whatever it is you do, and you're doing it apart from the empowering work of the Holy Spirit, someday you're going to stand in front of a big pile of ashes in heaven. And you're going to say, there's my life right there, right? And that will just be a really sad day, right? To know that all of our time, all of our efforts, all the sacrifices we made go up in a cloud of smoke because all we were building is straw. That would be That would be tragic. And sadly, I think that's going to be the case for a lot of people who didn't understand that the secret is not having the right method. The secret is being filled and empowered in ministry by the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look at three things. We need the Holy Spirit to lead us. Uh, we need the Holy Spirit to keep us gospel-centered. And we need the Holy Spirit to fill our methods and strategies with His power. So let's uh, look at this. Um, we need the Holy Spirit. An easy way to put this is uh, we need the Holy Spirit to tell us what to do. How many of you love to be told what to do? <laughs> nobody? Yeah, right, nobody, because nobody likes to be told what to do. But this is one of the roles and jobs of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to be telling us what to do, and we need this. Uh, and, and really the good news in all this is that, you know, uh, as much as you don't want to feel like you've wasted your whole life and get to heaven and watch it all burn up in smoke, believe me, the Holy Spirit also does not want this to happen for you, right? The Holy Spirit wants you to be effective. He wants to lead you in a path that is going to be productive and will bring about eternal results. He wants you to make an impact. Um, and so uh, he wants to lead you in a path to do that. We looked previously in Romans chapter 8 that the children of God are those who are being led by the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit wants to to do that for you. It's one of his roles in leading and directing us. And we see this, uh, how this gets played out throughout the book of Acts, right? And uh, we're not going to survey all of the passages, but just a, a quick survey in Acts chapter 8, we find uh, Philip. Uh, the, the disciples have kind of gotten persecuted in Jerusalem, and so they've they fled out of Jerusalem to other places. And we find Philip um, uh, out in, in an outlying region of Judea and uh, the the Holy Spirit speaks to him. He says, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So Philip does what he's told. He goes down to that road. And when he gets to the, the road, he's being unique, riding on a chariot. And, and it says in, in uh, Acts chapter 8, 28, it says, the Spirit said to him, right, the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and, and, and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he asked him, do you understand what you're reading? And the man had no idea, so he invites Philip up. And Philip explains the gospel to him from the book of Isaiah. I'm in Thailand, right? Uh, that's being led by the Spirit. Uh, but notice what he does. He founds him, finds himself in Azotus, and as he passed through, uh, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So he's being directed by the Holy Spirit. To go out and preach and proclaim the gospel. Um, a little bit later, and, and, and just a note about Philip. Uh, oftentimes I hear people say, well, you know, it was, you know, in Acts it's all different. It's not, we love to use the word, it's not, it's not prescriptive, it's descriptive. I don't know really what all that means, except for it's a lame excuse by theologians to say, well, we don't have to do what they did. <laughs> That's my abbreviated version. And I know Tim's going to come up after me and say, it's not that. Right. Um, 
uh, oftentimes, you know, we say, well, it was just the apostles. You know, the apostles got that kind of leading. This is not for normal Christians. Philip was a normal Christian. Right? Philip was not an apostle. He was not, any, he was not a leader in the church. He was just an everyday lay guy led by the Holy Spirit. But certainly we see the Holy Spirit leading and directing the apostles. Uh, in, in Acts chapter 10, the Holy Spirit tells Peter to go to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile. And, uh, and so he does that. And he goes and he preaches the gospel and their whole house, uh, household come to Christ. Uh, one of my favorite ones is Acts chapter 13. Uh, uh, the leaders of the church in Antioch were gathered together. And it says in verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting... The, the Holy Spirit said, okay, you hear again, the Holy Spirit is speaking very spe- specific directions. He said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying some more, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Um, so Paul and Barnabas, the, the, the first missionary ever, Right, he really went and took the gospel cross-culturally into other, other regions was Paul. And he was called to that by the Holy Spirit, by the specific instructions to the elders there in Antioch. And of course, even on his journey, uh, we see Paul being led in very specific ways by the Holy Spirit. And uh, in, in Acts 16, uh, not only does, does the Holy Spirit direct him where to go, we find the Holy Spirit telling him where not to go. It says, Acts uh, 16.6, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. I think that's remarkable. The Holy Spirit says, don't go there. Right? That's, not, that's not where I'm working. Right? Don't, don't go there. You'll be wasting your time if you go into those regions. And when they come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and in a vision, um, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And a man of Macedonia was standing up there, urging him, saying, "Come over to Macedonia and help us." Right. So through that vision, Paul is led to Macedonia, and he goes down, and there's all kinds of amazing ministry he does in Berea and Thessalonica and, and uh, Corinth, and that's how he ends up in Corinth, actually. Um, so you see the Holy Spirit directing opening some doors, closing other doors, very specific ways he's leading in, in their lives. Um, and, and the point is this. Uh, uh, clearly, one of the functions and roles of the Holy Spirit is to direct us, to lead us. And throughout Scripture, uh, where he is most often doing that specific kind of directing is in, in the role of our ministry or, or work, right? Uh, he directs us to the place and the people and the ministry where he is working, where he wants to do something. Uh, one of our issues with the leading of the Holy Spirit is far too often we want to make the leading of the Spirit something that's about my personal life. And um, some people just get really kind of irritating and annoying with this. And I don't know if this is real for them or if the Holy Spirit's leading them, but it can put some of us off to this idea of the Spirit's leading. And maybe you've heard people, I've heard people say this, God told me to go get a cat. <laughs> like, really? I mean, praise God for you, right? I, I'm glad for you. But is that really what the leading of the Holy Spirit is about? Or, or is it, you know, I want to save these people 
I want to do a work in a ministry in this place or in this time. This is a, a ministry that I'm calling you to. And so he leads us in those ways. Um, and it's not just for evangelists. In those accounts we've seen, it's all for the work of essentially evangelism. But we see the Holy Spirit leading in many different ways. In Acts chapter 6, uh, there's a crisis with the feeding of the widows. And so the apostles, the leaders in the church set up a plan. And it says that they appoint Steph, Stephen, a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, to be in charge of this food distribution program. Right? So they said this kind of ministry can't be done well with eternal impact by a guy who's not full of the Holy Spirit. So they chose him because he had faith and he was full of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 11, a man named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world, which took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers in Judea. Right, so this great social relief program was instituted because a guy was led by the Spirit. Uh, and God called the church to respond with compassion and sending help to their brothers. And, of course, we see in the distribution of the spiritual gifts that the, the Holy Spirit distributes a, a wide variety of gifts, not just evangelism or teaching, but helps and mercy and uh, administration, many ways that he uses us. And all of them, it says in, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, are by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Um, so the point is this. The point I'm trying to make in all this is that uh, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to tell us what to do. He is directing us to people and places in ministry where He is at work and wants to use us to make an eternal impact. So if that's true, if that's true, then one of the keys to not building with straw but building with gold is that we are being directed to the places the Holy Spirit is sending us to the people and to the ministries and to the activities that the Holy Spirit is directing us to. So how does he do that? You may feel like the Holy Spirit's never spoken to you. And what did this really look like? Well, unfortunately, uh, Scripture doesn't really describe it. Sometimes it does say that there were visions. Sometimes it says the Lord appeared uh, and apparently spoke quite audibly. But more often than that, it just says the Spirit spoke. And it doesn't really say how. Uh, we we have to kind of speculate, which is dangerous, right? Um, I I don't know, and I don't know how the Holy Spirit may or will speak to you, but I think often it's just in a very small voice and simple prompting. And I don't think we're going to hear, uh, like Paul, a flash of light, lightning on the road to Damascus and get knocked off our Honda Dream and hear a voice, right? That that can happen. Uh, and if it happens to you, pay, pay attention, because right? that's a big deal. But more than that, it's, it's a subtle prompting. It's a nudge. The Holy Spirit says, hey, go talk to that person. Hey, send an email right now to this person and encourage them. Right? You just get this flash, this thought. Right? It's an idea. And uh, it would be a whole other sermon to talk about how we d distinguish between Holy Spirit promptings and our own thinking. Uh, there, there are books about that. I encourage you to study that. But the point is, for now, for today, the Holy Spirit prompts. He directs. He leads. He moves. 
Uh, and one of the ways we can know it's His voice is He's moving us to ministry. He's moving us in, in a direction to do His work and His leading. So if there's a prompting that's, that's toward ministry, toward sharing the gospel, towards encouraging somebody, towards using your spiritual gift, there's a good chance that's the Holy Spirit speaking, leading, moving, prompting. And the only way, only way to find out is to follow the prompting. And so this is how it works. Holy Spirit says, go talk to this, this person. You know, there's an Ethiopian eunuch in a chariot. Go talk to him. And you go talk to him. And if it just so happens he's reading the book of Isaiah and he says, I don't understand this, you can be pretty sure that was the Holy Spirit, right? Now, if you go and you, they're not interested in the gospel and you share and they're like, you're an idiot. Like, well, maybe that wasn't the Holy Spirit. But hey, didn't hurt anything, right? <laughs> right, I tried. only way to find out is to start following those promptings. And as you do that, you'll, you will come to understand uh, how he's leading, right? Um, but the real issue here is not that the Holy Spirit is speaking or not speaking. The real issue is, are we listening? I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking. He wants to direct you. He does want to guide you to fruitful and effective ministry. But the issue is, in order for that to work, we have to be listening, Um and in order to do this, we have to have the believer conviction that this is really part of what the Spirit does. Here's the thing. If you don't believe the Spirit's going to prompt you, if you don't believe the Spirit's going to direct you in very specific ways, you're not going to be paying attention. And when some impulse, some thought comes into your head, you're just going to go, well, that's silly. Why would I do that? I don't know the Ethiopian eunuch. <laughs> I don't care about him. Right? You're not going to be following if you don't believe this is the way the Holy Spirit works. So part of it begins with faith. Um, uh, faith that he does work this way and a belief that he will in fact guide us. Another thing that we need to do to develop this listening ear, I believe, is, is to pray. Um, here's the thing. In your ministry, as you wrestle with methods and techniques and strategies and you seek where God might be leading you and how he would be seeking to use you in ministry, how much of that is filled with prayer? Right? How much of it is really seeking God saying, God, I don't know how to reach people for Jesus. God, I don't know how to disciple this person. I don't know how to help this person overcome their depression or their struggles. God, what would you have me say? God, who would you have me go to? But is that really the starting point for how most of us do ministry? I love in Acts chapter 13, one of the reasons I love that passage is it says they were praying and fasting and worshiping. And what's cool there is I don't know that they were necessarily praying and fasting and worshiping towards the goal of world evangelism. It doesn't say that. So they were just praying and worshiping. In fact, they were focused on God. Right? They, were, they were not thinking about me, about what I need to do, about how important I am. They were worshiping God. And they were... Uh, tuned into what the Spirit was doing because it was God-focused. And in that environment, in that context, uh, they, they were in a position to hear the Holy Spirit speak and lead. Um, so certainly prayer is a huge part of this. But prayer is not enough if we do not wait for an answer. I'm great at this. Now, I do pray, and I pray a lot. I'm terrible when it comes to waiting for the answer. Right? I usually pray, and then I'm like, okay, I prayed. Now let's go do my thing. Because right? uh, i got a plan, and i got a new method, and i got a new technique, and boom, I'm ready to try it. Um, true faith 
And true listening to the Spirit means that we wait for His answer. And sometimes the waiting can take a very long time. Right? I don't mean wait a few minutes, wait an hour. Yep, I waited an hour. I'm good. Okay, let's go, God. Maybe it's weeks. Maybe it's months. Maybe it's years as you pray and seek and, and, and wait for God to speak with clarity and give you direction. Now, of course, waiting can also be an excuse for not obeying. I'm not talking about that. Um, but uh, if we're always erasing ahead of the Holy Spirit, it's hard to be listening. Uh, an example out of our own ministry, and believe me, I have plenty of great examples of how I didn't listen or wait very well. Um, uh, but here's an example of what waiting can look like. Several years ago, I think it, I think it was around 2008, uh, we had a ministry come under FCF. And the reason they came to FCF is because their, their plans had all failed. Everything they had tried to do to get visas and work permits in Thailand had failed. And their whole ministry collapsed, really. And so they came uh, to us because they were on the verge of getting kicked out of the country, so we agreed to help them. And they just really had no idea where to go or what to do, and everything they had tried had failed. Um, and I'm not so sure. I don't, I don't know all the reasons why, but maybe because they hadn't really been prayerfully seeking God's leading and waiting for his direction. Uh, but whatever the case, I said, I encouraged them. I said, why don't you take some time and just pray and just really seek uh, where the Holy Spirit would direct you. And I was thinking mostly about the city of Chiang Mai. I was thinking, you know, do you go to the Sansai area up here? Do you go to the south? Uh, you know, what, what neighborhood in Chiang Mai would be, you know, the one that God's directing you to? And so they did that. They prayed and they began searching and seeking and surveying. And they, they waited for a year. Right? And at the end of a year, they came to me and said, we, God has revealed to us the place. We know where he wants us to go. Amen. Praise God. Where is it? Gallison. Going, Texas? No, no, no. Gallison, Thailand. I didn't even know there was such a place. Out in Isan, and uh, that's where God directed us. And that was a problem because we actually couldn't go there at that time. We had to do some creative, inventive things to get there. Um, not what I had in mind, but it was the Spirit's leading. And uh, I won't go into all the details, but um, God has opened up incredible ministry there for us. Uh, part of the picture of this is I myself personally had gone to uh, one of the National Congresses on Evangelism that the Thai Church puts on, and I think it was around 2008, and they had challenged everybody there at this conference to, to prayerfully adopt an unreached district in Thailand. And uh, I thought, well, I would love to do that. I felt called that, yeah, we should do that. So I started praying, God, where would you send me? And again, I waited, actually, I waited for two years praying this prayer, God, where, would, where could we get plugged in? Where could we um, serve you? Where are you working? Um, well, the interesting thing is through uh, them going to Gallus, and God opened up opportunities for me personally to start working uh, with a Thai pastor there. And uh, we were able to see some churches planted, and even to this day, uh, God's doing cool things there. We, we now have a number of couples there doing church planting. If I had gone ahead with my own plan, right, believe me, we would have gone nowhere near Isan. It's too far away, right? I would have gone, like, you know, to Hangdo because I live there. <laughs> Call me to Hangdo, right? But, but, but 
but uh, the, the ministry that God has brought about, right? the people that have come to Christ. Uh, and just, just when I was down there this last week, I heard uh, some cool stories uh, how God is saving people uh, in miraculous ways. Um, don't have time for this, but it's a cool story, so I've got to tell it. So one of the things we do there is we help kids go to school who can't. And about two years ago, we started helping this family. This lady had lots of husbands and too many children, and she couldn't pay for them all to go to school. And so we started helping her kid go to school. And through that, she started asking questions about why we were helping. She came to Christ. Uh, but she happened to be in an area, ideally we do this, where there's a church to follow up. But it was way out in a remote region where there was no follow-up. And so she kind of fell through the cracks. And our Thai staff there... Um, said, you know, we should just cut them off. We shouldn't be helping them because we don't know if they're really saved. And, you know, we don't, we don't know. We can't help them. We should just cut them off. I'm like, no, <laughs> can't cut them off, right? Well, uh, two weeks ago, th- they called our staff there, and uh, they wanted prayer. Uh, their faith in Christ was very real and active, and they wanted prayer and help. And their, the, the grandfather of the family was dying. He was on life support. And... Um, They said, the doctor told them, we're going to pull the plug, and he will live about 30 minutes and die. So they were able to go pray for him, uh, pray for his salvation, pray for the family. doctor pulls the plug. This was two weeks ago. The guy's still, the guy's, the guy's, he's home, he's sitting up. He he did not die, right? Praise God. Uh, And uh, through all this, we've now got them connected with the church. Their lives are being changed by the gospel. Point of all that. The Holy Spirit directed all that, right? It wasn't us. It was the Holy Spirit directing, leading, moving. Okay, second thing. Uh, in order to really hear the Holy Spirit, we need to be, we really need to be gospel-centered, right? Uh, what do we mean by that? Um, in, in Galatians 5.25, we saw this before uh, Paul writes, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Right? Part of being effective in being empowered by the Holy Spirit is that we are walking in the same direction He is. We're in step with Him. We care about the things the Holy Spirit cares about. Right? We have the same values and priorities and goals and mission as the Holy Spirit. If our mission and direction is this way and the Holy Spirit's this way, we're not walking in step with Him. And so Paul certainly was a person whose life was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe a lot of that was because he was clearly walking in step with the Holy Spirit. And we see this in, in, in 1 Corinthians 2, uh, verse 2, where Paul says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. There's a ton in that passage, and we don't have time to really talk about it all. But bottom line is this, for, for Paul... The center of his life and ministry was Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's an awesome definition of what it means to be gospel-centered. It means that the life of Jesus and his death on the cross, his work for us, is central to everything. Now, some people would say, well, why do you focus so much on Jesus? Why don't you focus on the Holy Spirit? Or why don't you focus on sign gifts? Or why don't you focus on you know, mercy ministry? Those are all good things, but those things cannot be central and the reason is because they're not central in Scripture. When you look at Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, the central message is one thing and one thing only. It is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Right? It's what holds all of the message of Scripture together. 
And if we want to be in step with the Holy Spirit, we must be gospel-centered. Right? Now, by that, I don't mean, I don't think Paul means that uh, the totality of his ministry was only sharing the gospel. Okay, I don't think that's what it means, that all you do is go out and evangelize. That's not what he means by it. But what he means is this, that the gospel is the totality of what ministry is. Right? From the beginning to the end, it is about the gospel. Uh, and not just for salvation, but it is the way that we all come to grow into maturity in the depth and riches of Christ. Right? We can never get too far away from the cross. Uh, so Paul writes in Romans 15, uh, he wrote, writes this amazing, these amazing words. He says, but on some points I have to, uh, I have written you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. A lot of words there to say, my life is about the ministry of the gospel. Like everything that Paul was about was the ministry of the gospel. Uh, not just evangelizing, but discipling and building churches and all that he did. And he says, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, right? empowered by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work. For I will, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. Okay, so again, he's talking about this gospel-focused work. But then he goes on and he makes this amazing statement about how he did ministry. He names three things. First of all, he says, by word and deed. So by preaching and also by the things that he did, right? the ways he helped people, the way he came alongside people and served them. So word and deed. Secondly, by the power of signs and wonders. And thirdly, by the power of the Spirit of God. That pretty much encompasses everything we do in ministry, right? If we're helping people, if we're doing social justice ministry, if we are uh, serving the poor, if we are evangelizing, if we're making disciples, right? all that comes under the cover of the gospel. And finally, he says that so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Right? I would love to say a lot more about that, but we don't have time. But I, I would say this, that you will not be empowered truly by the Holy Spirit if your ministry is detached and uh, not, not centered in the work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection. If it's not truly anchored in the gospel. Um, the gospel is really the beginning and end of our ministry. And by that I mean... Uh, what we do should flow out of the work of the, Christ, the work of the cross in our own life. Right? It, it's the motive. It's the reason that we serve God because we have been saved and our life has been transformed by the cross, and that's what motivates us to go out and serve and, and, and do ministry for Him. Likewise, it is the goal of our ministry to help others understand all that God has done for them in Jesus. We would go far if this would be our slogan, that we know nothing among them but Christ and Him crucified. Okay, lastly, powered by the Spirit. Uh, jumping back to uh, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 3, Paul writes, And I was with you in weakness and in fear, 
and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, or the spirit of power might be better, actually. So that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Bottom line, Paul says it is not enough just to be directed by the Holy Spirit. That's important. And you'll miss it if you're not being led and directed by the Holy Spirit. But that is not enough. In addition to that, everything we do must be filled with His power. Um, One of the reasons it must be filled with His power is that we come in weakness and fear. Paul said, uh, I came among you, uh, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. Uh, It's hard, maybe, if you've read much of Paul's writings, it's hard to imagine Paul being afraid of anything, right? He seems like pretty fearless. It seems hard to imagine he was intimidated by anything. But actually, uh, when you read the book of Acts, when he arrived in, Cor- in Corinth, <coughs> he was pretty beat up. And not just emotionally. I mean, like, like actually beat up. <laughs> Bruised, like recovering with the scars and wounds. He'd been beaten. He'd been put in prison. He'd been stoned and left for dead. And he got to Corinth, and he was apparently wrestling with a lot of fear. So much so that God had to appear to him in a vision and tell him, and speak to Paul and say, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in the city who are to be my people. Right, so he literally came to them in weakness and fear and trembling, uh, kind of unraveled by everything that had happened to him. But also, I think he means by that that he made a choice to be among them in a way that was weak. In other words, Uh, He came in a way that the world would not identify as having anything great to offer. He came in weakness. He did not come with big posters, big internet ads. Come see Paul the Apostle, world-renowned teacher, healer, and miracle worker. You will be stunned by his brilliant oratory, and his wisdom will astonish you. (laughs) Paul didn't do that. He came in weakness. He came intentionally with an attitude and a posture that was not impressive, that was not spectacular, it was weak. And earlier in chapter 1, he said this. He said, the problem is this, that he proclaimed the message of the cross, which was offensive to the Jews and just plain ridiculous to the Greeks. And the remarkable thing is that he did not attempt to reshape the message or make it appealing to either group. Right? He preached the cross as offensive to the Jews and as foolish to the Gentiles. That's what he means when he says, I came in weakness. He didn't reshape it, recraft it. Um, he didn't make it seeker sensitive. He's modern lingo. Right? He preached a gospel that was offensive and ridiculous. And he was not apologetic for it. He didn't try to make it more attractive or make it impressive with lofty logical arguments or sell it with dramatic oratory. Uh, If he was writing in our day, he could say, I didn't come to you in a way that was entertaining and relevant. (laughs) Because that's a lot of of what we want today in church. We want entertaining and relevant. So I didn't do that. Instead, he says, um, he knew all too well the limits of that. He knew the the limits of these methods. And it doesn't mean that Paul did not... Uh, know how to or use some of the methods. 
if you read inside of Paul's writings, he was very a very good orator, and he knew how to communicate well, and he knew how to construct a good argument. And the book of Corinthians is actually an example of that, right? He constructs a very well put together logical argument. It's not that he doesn't use these tools. The point is that Paul understood too well the limits of methods and techniques and strategies. He knew that by themselves, these things were powerless and empty. And so he said, instead of counting on these things, there's a better way. He said he relied on the demonstration of the spirit and of power. And the word demonstration has the idea of validating something. He says, I didn't validate the message by a a lofty argument or by convincing proofs uh, from a human point of view. He says, I just trusted in the Holy Spirit to confirm and validate the message. His ministry was powered by the Holy Spirit, and that's what made it effective and life-transforming. Why did he do it that way? Well, he says in verse 5, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He says, I came in the power of God because I wanted your faith to be in God, not me. I wonder, in our day, if one of the reasons so many believers are so weak in their faith is because we have tried to make the gospel appealing and interesting, and we've used our man-made methods and strategies, and people have come to trust in that, rather than validating the message by the power of the Holy Spirit so that what they trust is what God has done in their life. So what does all that mean? What, what is the work of the Spirit? What is it the, and how is it that the Holy Spirit validates or confirms the message? Um, well, he explains it down in verses 9 through 13, and we'll, we'll wrap up with this. He says, Uh, He starts off with a quote actually from Isaiah where he says, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. It's grammatically a terrible verse because (laughs) it's missing a verb. But what he's saying basically is that, uh, if, if you could paraphrase it, it would be something like this, that God has such incredible gifts that he wants to give us, so incredible that no one has ever seen or heard such things. In fact, you can't even imagine them. They're so wonderful. Uh, that's, in, in essence, what he's saying here. So the problem is, how do you explain something to someone that's beyond, so beyond their experience they can't even imagine it? Right? The blessings of the gospel are so incredible, so out there. What God wants to do is so profound, you can't even imagine how great it is. Here, here's an example. Uh, how many of you are loving cold season? I love it. Well, this morning it was great, awesome. Even it's funny. Even uh, like a week or two ago, when it was all the way down, it was starting to get really cold, like you know, 30 degrees Celsius. <laughs> right. uh, some of our staff were coming to the office all bundled up in jackets. I was going, "Are you cold?" "Oh yeah." The cold season's here. We're freezing, right? So, so have any of you ever tried to explain to a Thai person what real cold is? Right? Have you ever tried that? It's like, you, you have no idea what cold is. This is not even cold. This is not even touching cold. Right? Have you ever tried to explain that to them? And they're like, just, yeah. Because no, okay. they can't even imagine, you know, like below zero. Uh, can't even imagine it, right? Well, that's kind of the problem here. The things that God wants to do are so beyond our imagination. How do we describe these things? 
How do we communicate them in a way that anybody could understand? Well, Paul says it's possible only by the Holy Spirit. In verse 12, he says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Why? So that we might understand these things freely given us by God. The only way anybody can understand all this stuff is through the work of the Holy Spirit. He alone has the power to open our hearts and minds to understand what God wants to do in us and for us. That's why the only way we can do this is if our ministries are powered by the Holy Spirit. In verse 13, he says, it's not only for us personally, but in verse 13, he says, we must impart this understanding, this knowledge, in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths of those who are spiritual. This is ministry. So whatever it is you do, he says, ministry is this. It is, it is imparting words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, so that people can understand what God has for them. And here's the problem with us. This is where we get lost on this one. Is we, we misunderstand the difference between knowledge and understanding. Uh, we know that the lost can never come to true knowledge of Christ without the Holy Spirit. But Paul is speaking here to believers. He's talking to you and I about really understanding the fullness of what God has for us. Um, and the reality is we do understand and know a lot about what the Bible teaches. In fact, even unsaved people can grasp basic truths of the Bible. They know what it means that Jesus came to earth. They may not believe it, but they know what it means. And they know, they understand if you say Jesus died on the cross. It's not that they don't understand that. If you tell them Jesus rose from the dead, they can grasp what that means. Right? They can understand what it, uh, what it would look like for a, a dead person to come to life. Uh, they may not believe it, but they can understand those principles. Uh, we are taught these doctrines, and, and we may be very serious about theology, right? We may work hard at making sure our doctrine is perfect, because, because, of, because of course, ours is, right? You and I have perfect theology. Amen. And, and here's the problem. We think that because we have our theology worked out and we know what the Bible teaches about all these things, that we really understand what it means. But it's not true, Right? We think that since we have knowledge, we therefore have spiritual understanding. That because we can give the correct answer on a test, that we understand what it means. But the reality is that most of us, myself included, I know lots of facts, but honestly, I don't really know what most of it means. Right? Um, and the problem is that facts and information live in the intellect and in the mind. But true spiritual understanding... Uh, this kind of understanding that, that the, only the Holy Spirit can impart lives in the experience and shapes our whole life, not just our academic mind. See, with knowledge, you can have all the right answers, but, have, uh, but those answers result in very few changes in the way you live. And that's the problem. If you have only knowledge, you can know all the right answers. You can know the Bible inside out and backwards. You could teach it. If it's not changing your life, you didn't get it from the Holy Spirit. It came just through your own brain, and it's powerless. Right? On, by, by contrast, spiritual understanding affects us so deeply that it changes our whole life and world. 
And that's why ministry that's gold, that will last, can only come about through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Because it's the only thing that will be life-transforming. So here's an example of this. We've been talking all this time about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, by this point, I hope at least some of you can go, oh yeah, I get that. I understand that intellectually. Yeah, the Holy Spirit lives in us. Yeah, He's there. Yeah, uh, there's something He does to empower us. And, well, that's cool. Right? That's in your head. But the spiritual understanding that would really make a difference in your life is when you experience it and it becomes so real in you that it unravels you. And all of a sudden you find yourself feeling incredibly weak and fearful because you know you cannot do anything unless the Holy Spirit fills you with His power. Uh, This has been the experience of many people. And you read a lot of biographies of great figures in the past. And they've had this kind of experience where their knowledge of the truth of the Holy Spirit became all of a sudden a reality that they experienced and it changed their life. One of those guys is Dwight Moody. Uh, he was an evangelist and he was out sharing the gospel. In fact, he shared the gospel with everybody he ever met, right? Uh, he, and he started Sunday schools. He started ministries. But he will tell you that there, there was a point in time when uh, everything changed in his life because of one change, and that was his understanding of the Holy Spirit. Not in his head, Right? He knew all along that the Holy Spirit was indwelling him, but one day he had an experience where the Holy Spirit became so real to him that it forever changed how he did ministry. Right? And it was a profound experience. And I think a lot of people have had this experience and they talk about it and they don't know what to call it. So they use words like, I've been baptized with the Spirit or I've been filled with the Spirit. Okay, I think it's a bad choice of terms. But the principle is there. What they're saying is, It went from something I knew about to a spiritual understanding that I experienced and it transformed my life. That's how we build with gold, right? Uh, Anything we do apart from the Spirit, sadly, is going to (laughs) burn. We go up in smoke. So we need to learn how to do this. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.